Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include extending rate locks, recruiter Brianna King on how job candidates can separate themselves from the competition, as well as common resume faux pas, and further reaction to last week's inflation figures. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Encino, makers of the Encino Mortgage Suite for the modern mortgage lender. Encino Mortgage Suite's three core products, Encino Mortgage, Encino Incentive Compensation, and Encino Mortgage Analytics unite the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process. See how Encino can support a home ownership journey that your borrowers and your team will love at Encino.com. How are we halfway through January already? Wasn't it just Christmas? I'm supposed to respect my elders, but now it's getting harder and harder for me to find one. Gradually, it's becoming harder and harder to find a bank that does loans outside of its footprint. Finding people in their late 30s or 40s is not hard. The median age in the United States is 38, and there are plenty of people in our industry in their 40s. You know, the 40s, when you're like an iPhone 6. You don't have all the features of the newer models, but you're dependable and affordable. Okay, back to rates. For MLOs who lock their borrowers at the lows, I continue to be asked about why extending a rate lock, if even for a few days or for something beyond the control of the borrower, costs money. The cost to extend a best efforts lock reflects the cost incurred by secondary marketing to move the corresponding hedge to reflect the new closing date. It's an easier concept to understand if you acknowledge the inequity of hedging a mortgage pipeline. Best efforts locks, which may or may not close, are given for free to loan officers, then hedged with mandatory security instruments. When a lock extension is granted, the hedge needs to reflect the change in delivery dates. For example, when a loan comes in with a 45-day lock, your hedge model will pull from your LOS, the estimated closing date, to best execute that loan for delivery into the secondary markets. In the process, it determines what month security needs to be sold to offset the 45-plus days of interest rate exposure that the loan will incur. If that 45-day lock was taken out January 2nd with a February 15th estimated funding, a February security would probably be sold as the hedge instrument. An only seven-day extension might just mean that the loan now best executes into a March commitment, meaning you now must buy back your February coverage and sell a March security to match the new closing date. This roll from a front-month security to a back-month has a transactional cost. Much of the fee charged to extend the loan with your secondary group reflects this cost. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show recruiter Brianna King to talk about how job candidates can separate themselves from the competition, as well as some common resume faux pas. All right, Brianna. Uh, and what is your official job title? I am a senior recruiter, and I mostly support uh, finance, HR, and supply chain roles. I've done some executive recruitment in the past as well. What's the difference between a junior recruiter and a senior recruiter? How many years of experience <laughs> do you need before they let you be a senior? I would say a recruiter probably has three or four years of experience. Senior recruiters more like five to seven. Very nice. Well, I, I maybe I should ask you before we get into the official questions here. How do you feel like your skills as a recruiter have improved over the you know five, seven, however long you've been doing this? I mean, are, yeah. you, are you better at sussing out who's a good fit, who's not? <laughs> are you better at asking questions? Are you? Where do you think that you got you've gotten better over time? 
Yeah, I'd like to think I've gotten better at it over time. Um, I think it really is understanding the phase of the process that we're talking to these candidates. They're really early on. They have questions about the role in the team and if they're an external candidate, the company um, and being able to being prepared to answer those questions while also making them feel comfortable, getting a sense of what they're looking for. My job is really to go to the hiring leader or the hiring team, whoever's looking for to fill this role and vouch for the people that I had good conversations with. So it's getting the information that I need, the information that's going to be important to the hiring team um, and hoping everything else uh, falls into place. I mean, do you feel personally vested in candidates if you have a good conversation? Are you like, hey, my candidate was better than your candidate, other, <laughs> other senior recruiting manager? Like, hey, we should go with mine. Mine deserves it. Absolutely. And I, I think some advice I give candidates, at least early on in the process, is be a person first and a candidate second. You know, I start all of my, uh, we'll call them phone screens with candidates by asking, you know, what what'd you get up to over the weekend? Any big plans coming up? Things like that. And that banter at the beginning of the call is really how I later on in the process identify candidates. Oh, that's the, the person who's going to the Sundance Film Festival this weekend, or that's the person who just got back from a trip with their family. Um, that's really how, you know, we build that connection. And that in all honesty, makes me more likely to vouch for them later on. You and I had lovely banter at the beginning of this phone call, but of course I wasn't recording. So uh, <laughs> we did, we did <laughs> straight, straight into business for us. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about your role uh, and help people out in the mortgage industry because the mortgage industry has downsized by 40%, 50%, 60%, 70%, wow. who knows over the last year. Uh, I know, which is a bummer for all my, all my podcast downloads that used to be so high and then they've been dropping off, but at least <laughs> sure. uh, don't worry. I've been, I've been putting in 70% less effort than I did when numbers were 70% higher. <laughs> I'm lesson. sure. I'm sure they can I'll tell. Bet. So yeah, it's not like you can, you can hide that from people, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's start. Uh, hopefully this helps people in their search for a new job if they want to stay in the mortgage industry. So Talk about talk about people being people rather than candidates, at least to start mm-hmm. the interview process. When you're looking at someone for a role, how do you weigh organizational fit versus the competency of a candidate? Can you can you put weightings on those? Yeah, I think it depends on the role a lot of times, right? If you're looking for someone who can code, it, organizational fit doesn't matter so much. We need someone who has that technical skill set. Whereas, you know, for maybe a, a sales position, let's say you're relying a little bit more on fit, executive presence, some of those more, more difficult to quantify uh, skills. So uh, the way I like to frame it is I try to prioritize a value add, whether that's through skills, whether that's through their communication style, what are they bringing to this team or this client that they'll they'll be supporting? And that kind of piece of the puzzle varies quite a bit in terms of what the role itself or what the team itself really needs in that moment. Well, I have a very open-ended question for you mm-hmm. then. And maybe maybe it's role dependent, kind of like the last one. But so what what do you feel like makes one candidate stand out versus another? I'm sure there's probably a million answers to this, but uh what yeah think? I can think of two big pieces, I think, first, from a resume perspective. And I I think this has floated around on LinkedIn. Some people may already be aware. But 
realistically, the statistic is that recruiters spend six to eight seconds looking at every resume. So, you know, as wonderful as your 12 page resume is that you spend a lot of time on, I'm (laughs) not reading any of that, at least not in early stages of the process. You want to hit the high points. You want to make it clear that you've understood the job description. If we're looking for social media experience, make sure that's in one of your top bullet points. It may be, make sure it, you know, maybe is in bold in your font sizes. Um, it really be able to stand out from that first six to eight seconds. Um, you know, you'll be able to elaborate on those key points in the interview. That's the, the purpose of the process. Um, once you make it to that point, I think it's important to understand the stages, ask the right questions at the different levels um, of the, the interview process. I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is reading from a script. They put everything they've ever done in writing and then are reading it out during the interview as opposed to reacting to the questions. It's, of course, good to be prepared and have examples thought out and um, all that good stuff. But I think Again, going back to the initial point, it's important to be a person first and a candidate second. Um, you know, lean into to what they're asking in the interview. I think that'll help you really understand what the role is as well. So there are several personality tests that companies use. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, whether whether it's uh, quizzes or just simple Enneagram or Myers Briggs type things. Uh, what are you looking for in those tests? I mean, everybody has a different <laughs> personality. Sure. I will caveat and say the company that I'm currently with does not use these types of tests. I have worked with them in the past. Um, Where I am currently, we have more of a, we call them competencies, where if we're looking for these three personality traits or leadership traits, here are some questions that we may ask during the process, you know, tell me about a time when type behavioral questions. But I think the way that we approach it and those personality tests are after the same information. They're looking for, I kind of alluded to it earlier, that value add. I tell candidates all the time, no two job descriptions are created equal. Let's call it a senior analyst level role, right? These job descriptions may be identical. They're looking for five years of experience, someone with, you know, from the mortgage industry, let's say. Um, And though those job descriptions are identical, the needs of the team can be really different. Hiring leaders are not restarting from scratch with a job description every time, but what they're looking for changes pretty drastically. So long story short, I think those um, personality tests are looking to fill gaps that are maybe missing culturally or from a skill set of the current team. If they have a really technically strong team, for example, and you're really technically strong and maybe would be great in this role, that's just unfortunately not what they need right now. They need someone to kind of round out the skill set of the team as it exists today. All right, let's get into some fun stuff. What's the best way to negotiate higher starting compensation? Oh, it's a loaded question. Um, But I, I really like talking about comp. I think there's a lack of transparency and sometimes it's a little, I'll say misunderstood what's realistic and what's not. And it's hard to find the information that maybe you're looking for. Um, as a lot of listeners may be aware, uh, pay transparency laws have come into play over the last, let's call it a year or so, probably more than that, but more um, predominantly in the last year. And I think something to keep in mind, a lot of these roles are posting ranges now. And the truth of those ranges is that they're, encompassing any possible scenario for that role, including outliers. So let's just say a a range is posted from, I'll make up numbers here, $10 to $15. We can pay somewhere between that for this role. 
realistically, the high end of that range would be reserved for someone who got into that role and stayed there for the next 20 years, receiving merit increase after merit increase. We have to accommodate that outlier circumstance. So when you're looking at a job range, you really need to be comfortable if that were to land at the low to mid range of what's posted. Um, I think something we see a lot is someone who you know, maybe we're looking for three years of experience in a role and they have five and you're like, well, I'm so qualified for this role. If not overqualified, I'll of course be close to that high end of the range. And it just isn't, isn't realistic ultimately. So I think going in knowledgeable about the range is important where possible. It's not a a perfect science quite yet. Um, But I think when it comes to negotiation, companies have two primary schools of thought. I think there's companies that pay for the role. So no matter who's coming in, we're paying for this work to be done. Everyone gets the same offer or, you know, within a few thousand dollars, maybe. There are also companies out there who pay for the resume. You know, this person's going to bring a lot of value to the company. Um, They say they're worth this much. We agree. Um, I think you come up against both of those things. Smaller companies probably lean a little bit more towards paying for the resume, resume, excuse me. Whereas um, bigger companies, I think uh, more often than not are paying for the role itself. So just, I I think with negotiations, it's about being realistic with what the flexibility is. Um, You know, it never hurts to ask for an extra five, 10 K worst case scenario, you know, you're locked in or maybe get a little bit more and they throw in a sign on bonus. Um, But I think just being realistic and being willing to ask the question will, will get you pretty far. What do you feel like you've learned about people in your time as a recruiter? Yeah, um, I, I think I'll answer this question in terms of what I try to apply outside of work, things I've learned in work that I apply um, in you know social settings. I think the biggest thing for me, I, I talk to candidates all day long. You would be shocked to know how much you learn as a captive audience. I get on the phone with people and all of my questions are about them. What drives you? What What did you accomplish in your last job? What are you looking for? Um, and you, it's very quick. Um, a lot of times that it turns into I'm learning about their family. I'm learning about why they moved from one state to another ten years ago. Um, so I think you know follow up questions and true interest in, in people's stories can really get you a long way and earn you a lot of trust. Um, there's a joke sometimes that goes around with other recruiters that we learn more about these people than their therapists probably do because we're just really curious. They they have a captive audience back to my initial point. I think that's the biggest thing. Last question. Uh, I think it's really helpful for people. What are common resume mistakes you notice that you're like, dang, that's either ruling you out or I wish you didn't do that. It's put you behind the eight ball. Uh, Any tips for people in that sense? Yeah. And before I answer, I think the biggest thing that, um, or umbrella thing that I'll say, there are a lot of rumors out there about what really goes on in the resume review stage of an interview process. I think there are a lot of AI tools or other technology that has assisted recruiters that has come about in the last several years. Um, But I think it's a misconception that AI bots or or other systems can can entirely pull you out of a process before any human eyes gets on the resume. Maybe that's true at some companies. It's not something I've encountered personally. Um, so I think lots of mistakes that are 
gearing themselves toward that possibility is really hard to see. I have resumes all the time that, you know, copy and paste the job description and put it in white text on their resume. I'm looking at almost every resume that applies to the jobs that I'm, I'm working on. And so when I'm looking for those keywords, your, your white text gets highlighted and, and you're caught. So I think really more often than not, assume there are going to be human eyes through the lens of technology. And, you know, recruiters know all of those tricks at this point. Um, but I'd say little things that you can do. I think rule of thumb is um, 10 years of experience per page. I know you'll see a lot of people saying one page or bust with the resumes. And I think for the most part, that's true. And where possible, it's best. Um, but if you have 20 years of experience, I think you know two pages is certainly acceptable in that case. Um, I think the thing that gets most called out by hiring leaders is formatting, um, misspellings, you know, uh, your top job has different font sizes than your last job. Um, I, I think that calls out maybe a lack of attention to detail, a lack of how seriously candidates are taking the process. Um, things like that get sort of, it's a pretty big leap, but that's what happens when we have tons of resumes to look through. Those who took the extra 20 minutes to proofread or ask someone to proofread get, get prioritized, unfortunately. Very well put. Brianna, I really appreciate you making the time today. I'm sorry that I'm a little scatterbrained trying to figure out <laughs> how to get across the Colorado Rockies in a snowstorm. Uh, no but worries. Good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. The timing and extent of interest rate cuts is at the top of mind for market participants as they set their forecasts for the new year. Last week, the market received highly anticipated inflation data that was slightly hotter than expected due to an uptick in energy prices. However, the core consumer price index annual increase of 3.9% marks the first time that the annual figure was below 4% in two and a half years. Meanwhile, producer prices declined 0.1% during December, and the core, excluding food or energy, producer price index was unchanged for the month. The downward trend in inflation that began last year has occurred without a significant softening of the labor market. Initial jobless claims are near decade lows, and job openings remain plentiful, despite decreasing toward the end of 2023. There are signs that it has become more difficult for job seekers to find new employment, as evidenced by the recent increase in continuing jobless claims. While many economists were forecasting a recession in 2024, the lack of meaningful degradation in economic growth has shifted expectations toward the soft landing that the Fed desires. This holiday shortened week's highlights include Fed surveys, retail sales, import prices, housing-related data, and Michigan sentiment on Friday. Besides bills, Treasury supply consists of $13 billion of reopened 20-year bonds tomorrow and $18 billion of 10-year tips on Thursday. Last Friday, the U.S. 10-year T-note closed yielding 3.95%. This morning, it's at 4.01, while current coupon agency MBS prices are worse by about a quarter. The two years at 4.20%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A duck walks into a bar and orders a beer, then says, put it on my bill. <laughs> thanks again to today's podcast sponsor encino makers of the encino mortgage suite for the modern mortgage lender encino mortgage suites three core products encino mortgage encino incentive compensation and encino mortgage analytics unite the people systems and stages of the mortgage process see how encino can support a home ownership journey that your borrowers and your team will love at encino 
www.thinkingdigital.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.